As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hey, welcome back to the show. Episode 61. Gosh, we are getting through them. This is the show bringing you the works of C.S. Lewis, applying them to the modern world. Alistair McGrath, Andrios Idrios Professor of Science and Religion at Oxford University, is your guide. And I'm your host for this season of the show. I'm Justin. Today, we're continuing our journey through the shorter works of C.S. Lewis. Today's one is Theology Poetry. This was originally given as a talk in 1945. And as you'll hear, this was the first piece of Lewis's writing that Alistair McGrath ever read as a student. And it had a profound influence on him. It, of course, includes Lewis's memorable phrase, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Uh, You'll also hear Alistair has a new book out called What's the Point of Theology? And there's a link to that new book from today's show. P.S. If you enjoy this show, I think you'll love our latest season of The Big Conversation from Unbelievable. We've had some fantastic discussions already. Uh, Richard Dawkins and Francis Collins, Rowan Williams and Paul Kingsnorth, Ian McGilchrist and Sharon Dirks. And we have a live online edition coming up imminently. Michaela Peterson, daughter of famed psychologist Jordan Peterson, is in conversation about her own journey of faith with popular YouTuber What Do You Mean? aka John McRae. They'll be talking about the search for God among their generation, Gen Z and millennials. To be part of it and ask your questions on Tuesday the 12th of July, you can join free online. All you need to do is register at unbelievable.live. The link is with today's show. For now, let's get into today's conversation. Welcome back to the show. This is the opportunity each week when I get to talk to Alistair McGrath about all things C.S. Lewis. And we've been looking at some of Lewis's shorter pieces of writing, his sermons, his uh, articles in newspapers and so on that often find their way into anthologies today. We're going to be talking about his theology poetry today. But before we get to that, it seems apposite to talk about your new book, Alistair, What's the Point of Theology?, um, tell us again about about this book, and I'm going to I'm going to remind you that the last time I interviewed you about a book, which was your memoir, Through a Glass Darkly, you said this would be your last book. Evidently, that was not the case. So, so tell us what inspired you to bring out another one, Alison. Well, well, Justin, what happened was, I mean, a lot of people heard that podcast and wrote to me and said, what do you mean it's your last book? We want you to keep writing. And they very kindly made some suggestions about what I might write about, including what's theology all about. So uh, let me reassure you, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And uh, this book here, um, which is basically what is the point of theology, is the latest one. And it, it really is a book that engages questions people have asked me all the time why do we need theology it's pointless Mm. um 
persuade us otherwise. And so the book tries to say, here is why actually theology is important for religious believers, yes, but also for our wider culture. Uh, absolutely. It's published, I think, by SBCK. Uh, and and um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a marvellous deep dive into the reason for theology, you know, um, and I think often without realizing it, we are doing theology all the time. Even people who claim to not need theology, they're, well, we all have a theological perspective. That's, that's a given. Um, tell us, tell us though, this, this particular one, it's again, it's, it's, it's a, uh, an essay that had its beginnings in a talk given at the Socratic club. Can you give us the background to it? Yes. The background is this was given um, in 1945, I think after the second world war had ended and Lewis was reflecting on is theology poetry question mark. And I have to say, uh, nobody's really quite clear why Lewis gave this paper. Um, but anyway, uh, look, it's, the way that the essay is written suggests the title had been given to him rather than mm. one he'd chosen himself. But it, it's a marvellous um, uh, essay. In fact, I will tell you it, that uh, when I became a Christian back in 1971, you know, I really was looking for some kind of intellectual stimulus. And then in February 1974, I read this essay. People said, start reading Lewis. And I read this essay, because in a, an early collection of Lewis's essay, they asked for a paper. And by the time I'd finished reading this essay, I thought, this is wonderful. I want to be a theologian. So you know, if you don't like my theology, you blame C.S. Lewis. <laughs> and but it's it, interesting that this was the very first thing you read from Lewis. But you might right. have expected mere Christianity or Narnia, but no, it was this, this essay. No, I'd been given a book token for my birthday, and I went into a big bookstore in Oxford, and there was this book on the shelf. So I thought, right, we'll start here. And I, I read this essay, and it changed everything. Well, I think why did main... it have such a, an impact then? Tell us what, what, what it was about it. Well, I think it basically showed me that Christianity was not just about being right with God or feeling good about life or having a vision of sort of things I might do in life. It was saying this makes sense. It makes mm -hmm. sense in itself and it makes sense of our world and of you. And I think that really, um, that really captured my imagination and said, it said to me, I've got to find out more about this. I've really got to go deeper into my faith. And so in many ways, Lewis was my catalyst to, um, to think more deeply about my faith, which I have to say was not common in student circles in Oxford back in those days. It tended to be, you just trust God, don't think mm -hmm. about your faith. And I didn't like that. Yeah. Um, he begins by defining his terms, um, theology uh, and poetry. Um, theology, he says, you know, well, we can assume that it principally means when it comes to Christian theology, uh, talking about God and our relationship to him and so on. He says the other term poetry is much harder to define. Um, so so uh, to, what is the question, I suppose, that Lewis is answering here? What, what, do, what eventually does he settle as the sort of thing that he is actually responding to in this in this essay it's very interesting i mean obviously as a professional scholar of english literature lewis knew a lot about poetry he knew about definitions of poetry and what he was trying to do is to find something about poetry that would really help him to answer this question and i think that um in many ways he's trying to say there are two things here there is what he calls intellectual assent and there's imaginative enjoyment and many of us are saying, look, theology helps you figure out what, what Christianity says, but poetry 
enables you to enjoy it imaginatively. And so what Lewis begins to reflect on is the idea that theology and poetry come together to, in effect, stimulate both your reason and your imagination, to give you a vision of Christian faith, which is both um, credible, but also enjoyable. And I think that's a very important point he was trying to bring out there. Hmm. Um imaginative enjoyment and intellectual assent um we've already talked a little bit about this in in some of the previous episodes here but but again it's it's i suppose it's lewis once again reiterating the fact that it's a both and when it comes to christianity that that yes there is this intellectual core there's a historical aspect of christianity there's the theology in that sense uh and and then there's this there's this actually doing it this taking part in it so when we when we look at a piece of poetry we can analyze it you know we can objectively say whether this is good or bad poetry i suppose in its genre but that's not the same thing as when we actually enjoy poetry that's something much more direct in that sense so 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 what yeah what what's what's lewis trying to say here when when he's when he's asked is theology poetry is he saying it's one or the other and, and which which is it if it's one well i think one of the things that lewis is trying to bring out here is that a poet in his view is someone who has seen something and is both pointing to it and saying there it is and also here's what I enjoy about it. I think what Lewis is trying to do is to say that the Christian faith has both rational and enjoyable elements. In other words, it, it, it speaks to both the reason and the imagination. And holding these together is so important. And so I think one of the things that Lewis is trying to do here is to say, look, um, maybe there are multiple ways into the Christian faith. For some, it makes rational sense. Brilliant. For others, it just speaks something which says to you, this is so exciting, this really matters, I want to know more about this. And these two approaches aren't incompatible, they're different aspects of a greater whole. And I think it's one of the points I see Lewis bringing out here, theology makes sense of things, that's very, very clearly an important thing, but also enables us to not simply understand, but enjoy this world. In other words, it is something God has made. And by enjoying this world, we come to know God even better. Mm. I mean, it, it strikes me that Lewis is almost using poetry in the same way that he uses in other essays we've looked at, mythos or myth, you know, a story, a, mm. a sort of imaginative act of, of, you know, being engaged in something. Um, and, and one of the points he makes in this essay is, is that, you know, we do this all the time. We are, in a sense, meaning-making creatures. We we tell a story, even if we're scientists. So, so it, it, for instance, he says, uh, consider for a few moments the enormous aesthetic claim of the chief uh, contemporary rival to theology, what we may loosely call the scientific outlook, the picture of Mr. H.G. Wells and the rest. Supposing this to be a myth, is it not one of the finest myths which human imagination has yet produced? Um, and talking really just about you know, the scientific sort of perspective on how the world came to be in humans. He says the play is preceded by the most austere of all preludes, the infinite void, matter restlessly moving to bring forth it knows not what, then by the millionth millionth chance, what tragic irony, the conditions at one point of space and time bubble up into that turn in tiny fermentation, which is the beginning of life. Everything seems to be against the infant hero of our drama, just as everything seems against the youngest son or ill-used stepdaughter at the opening of a fairy tale. But life somehow wins through with infinite suffering against all but insuperable obstacles. It spreads, it breeds, it complicates itself from the amoeba up to the plant, to the reptile, to the mammal. We glance briefly at the age of monsters. Dragons prowl the earth, devour one another and die. 
Then comes the theme of the younger son and the ugly duckling once more, as the weak, tiny spark of life begin, began amidst the huge hostilities of the inanimate. So now again. And so on. he sort of tells this, the scientific story, but says, well, it itself is a sort of another story. It's, it's a sort of, it's telling another story again. It's, and he seems to say that you can't avoid a kind of poetic understanding of who we are and what we are, even if we're, even if, you know, our chief guide is a scientific outlook in that sense. He is. He says a man is a poetical animal and touches nothing which he doesn't adorn. And, and that happens with science. And um, I think that's very, very important. What I think Lewis is getting at is that in the case of talking about God, this comes naturally and is appropriate because if I can put it like this, poetic language is not simply describing something, it's trying to evoke an appropriate reaction on our part. And what I see Lewis doing in this essay is in effect making a connection between not just thinking about God, but spirituality, worship. You know, when you see God rightly, when you use the right kind of language about God, you are drawn into praise and adoration and prayer. So I think that that's a very important point um, that we could follow through on. But I think for me, one of the main points Lewis is trying to make here is that um, we're looking for a bigger picture of reality. And for me, as a former scientist, Lewis really brings out a very important point, which is actually the scientists can't explain their own success. You know, what's mm. the point of this? And one of the things that Lewis is trying to say, I think, is that Christianity gives you this wonderful intellectual vision, which allows you to see why science is able to succeed so well under certain limits and what those limits are. In other words, science can't do everything. And so one of the things that Lewis is trying to say is that we need more than science is able to offer. We're able to position it within this bigger worldview, but at the same time realize that what science can't give us is given by Christianity. So I've always found that as a very helpful way of beginning to think of how we hold Christianity and science together. In effect, science helps to understand how our universe functions, but our Christian faith gives an understanding of, well, what things are all about and what really mm. matters in life. So I think that's a very important point. I don't know if it came through on my microphone, but the heavens have opened here outside my the room where I'm recording, Alistair. And there was a large crack of thunder during <laughs> what you were saying, which only adds, you know, drama to the uh, to the poetry we're talking about here. Um, that I, I think there are some really help, helpful sort of moments in this this essay as well, um, when it talks about the fact that we can't avoid the use of symbolic poetic language. And we, we do it actually, I think, you know, I, I think scientists often don't realize how much they themselves use that when they talk about natural processes, they, they, they will inevitably reach for metaphors and, you know, things. Um, and, and one of the things um, says um, Lewis is there are, there are a couple of questions involved here. What did the early Christians believe? Did they believe that God really has a material palace in the sky and that he, received his son in a decorated state chair, paced a little to the right of his own, or did they not? The answer is that the alternative we are offering them was probably never present to their minds at all. As soon as it was present, we know quite well which side of the fence they came down. As soon as the issue of anthropomorphism was explicitly before the church, I think in the second century, it was condemned. 
the church knew the answer that God has no body and therefore couldn't sit in a chair as soon as it knew the question. But till the question was raised, of course, people believed neither one answer nor the other. There is no more tiresome error in the history of thought than to try to sort out our ancestors onto this or that side of distinction, which was not in their minds at all. You're asking a question to which no answer exists. So, so it, this is the thing. People often criticize Christianity. Say, well, they obviously had very primitive beliefs and they believed in this, that and the other. And Lewis sometimes is saying, well, th these are modern categories, um, you know, and, and yes, of course, once you present someone with, you know, well, God isn't really sitting in a chair doing this or that, they will say, well, no, but but somehow Christianity has the ability to um, to, to what, you know, whatever our present understanding is of the nature of the universe and so on to en encompass, you know, that still. And, and he goes on to say later on here um, that he's, even when we use something like God entered history instead of saying God came down to earth, we're still using something metaphorically, as he says, you've only substituted horizontal for vertical movement. Um, uh, we can't get away in a sense from, from metaphor when we're talking about God or, or indeed life generally, Alistair, seems to be the point here. Well, that's right. I mean, I mean, there have been countless books published on why we can't avoid using metaphors. We have to, because um, to, to deal with the complexities of our world and our experience, we have to expand language to take things in without saying it, 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 it is this. It, it's a bit like this. You know, they're trying always to, um, to expand language, to cope with these vast experiences that we have. But I think one of the things that Lewis is helping us to see is that actually we do have this tendency to, in effect, say we've got it right now. So we can look back and say, oh, they just got wrong. They were primitive. That's a word that we so often use to dismiss the views of earlier generations. Lewis's point is that we may move on, but actually there are some truths that abide that in effect stay with us because they are so important and we keep coming back to them. I think for Lewis, um, you know, this grand miracle of incarnation is just the trump card. If this happened, everything is different. And that I think is a really important point to, to bring out what Lewis is saying here. One, one pass, part of the passage says, all worldviews yield poetry to those who believe them by the mere fact of being believed. And nearly all have certain poetical merits, whether you believe them or not. And that is what we should expect. Man is, as you say, a poetical animal and touches nothing which he does not adorn. Um, and, and elsewhere, he talks about paganism, um, saying that, you know, some a special illumination has been vouchsafed to Christians and earlier to Jews. Also says that there is some divine illumination vouchsafed vouchsafe to all men the divine light we are told lighteneth every man again it's, it's coming back to this theme that that for lewis which we've talked about before there's a sort of there's a story to which the christian story ultimately sort of finds finds its resolution that's right let's come back to the point you made about um man uh, adorn adorning things because actually lewis is making the point that some things are so dull they have to be adorned for them to be attractive and one of the points that Lewis is making in this essay is that actually the Christian gospel doesn't need to be adorned because it is so attractive intrinsically. And what you're doing there is not so much saying, let's make it nice by pasting on decorations. You know, it's actually saying this is intrinsic to this. Let's unfold it. Let's, um, let's show it off for what it really is. We don't need to make it attractive. We need to use poetic language to explore its intrinsic attraction. And for me, that's really important. I'm not inventing 
the attractions of Christianity. What I'm doing is trying to find language that will allow me to express this and be able to connect that with our culture. And sometimes that language is poetic. And that's why I like this essay so much, because Lewis is saying, look, um, you've got to convey this imaginative enjoyment. And that is why poetry is so helpful. And actually, I know lots of people who've come to faith through reading the poetry of Gerald Manley Hopkins or so-and-so and so-and-so, and and I'm sure you do too, because Mm. somehow they seem to have put their finger on something which really is is wonderful, and you feel, I must know what this is. And of course, at the very end of the essay comes that phrase, which you have so frequently quoted in your own work as well, and so it's it's unsurprising in a way that, that this was the first place you bumped into Lewis included this quote, where he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That must have sort of hit you like a thunderbolt when you read that at the time, Alistair. It did. Um, It did partly because it's the last um, sentence uh, in the essay. But I think it was really, it spoke to me very deeply because it suddenly illuminated something. It suddenly enabled me to see something that I'd been suspecting, but hadn't quite scene and Lewis saying it so so well and saying it so strongly suddenly made me realize that's right I I need to think more about this and so I I began to think how I become a theologian and in many ways that sentence in effect has become so important to my personal life history I'm sure everyone listening to us you know will have some sentence or something that really was inspirational to them this sentence is uh, inspirational to me which is why i'm afraid i quote it so often and audiences often will groan oh not again (laughs) but it's so good (laughs) it is absolutely if it was it was worth quoting once it's worth quoting 10 times um thank you very much alistair really interesting and uh, again you can find uh, is theology poetry it is available I, I was able to just search for it while we were recording here and bring up uh, an, an edition of it online but it's also available in uh, various areas where it's been published as as part of uh, Lewis's essays but um, thank you very much Alistair and also for your new book um, which I will make sure we link to from today's show as well um, uh, and uh, and we look forward to meeting again next time it'll be fun thank you And just a reminder again that Alistair's book, What's the Point of Theology, is available now. There's a link with today's show. By the way, please do let others know about the podcast by leaving a rating and a review. It helps others to discover us as well. You can find more from the show at our website, premierunbelievable.com. And if you'd like to join our next online big conversation with Michaela Peterson and John McRae on Tuesday, the 12th of July, just register for free at unbelievable.live. God bless you. See you next time. Thank you.